You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Morning, everyone. Good to see you today. We are in the middle of a three-part message series on the great value uh, that God places on what we do for work. And today we turn our attention to the specific jobs that we have. The title of the message is Where We Work. My first job um, was, was when I was 11. That was the summer I was old enough to work in the fields that surrounded our community. So as soon as school was out, I'd start by picking strawberries. That was the first crop that was available. Then once strawberries panned out, we moved on to pole beans, and then we finished the summer with cherries. I wasn't the only one doing this. Uh, most of my friends in school would do this because about half of the school teachers uh, would become uh, school bus drivers and row bosses for the surrounding farms as soon as school was out. And so we would start at 5 in the morning. We'd be done about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And by the time the cherry season ended, we had about three weeks of traditional summer left. So we had about a three-week-long summer for most of the summers that I, ever since I was 11. Now, of course, this is now against the law. You can't put 11-year-olds to work in the field anymore. But actually, it was in those fields that I learned the value of money and the hard work that it took to earn it. And I actually, I wasn't then, but I'm grateful now for that experience. When I was 16, I got my second job working in Safeway grocery store. And I was in high school at the time. And so my uh, Monday through Friday schedule was this. I would uh, show up um, to begin to stock groceries at 4.15 in the morning. I'd work from 4.15 to 7.15. Then I'd go to school. Then I would leave school, go back to Safeway, work from 4.15 to 7.15 uh, in the afternoons. And that was Monday through Friday uh, throughout the, uh, the school weeks. And in the summer, uh, I worked a midnight to 8 a.m. shift at Safeway. And then when I got into college, I had some of the typical summer jobs you get. Uh, well, maybe not too typical. I worked in a steel mill one summer in Detroit, South Detroit, which was quite an experience uh, for me. The summer after that, I got a job with a, a roofing company uh, working uh, with hot tar, repairing uh, a roof of some of the factories, again, in South Detroit that summer. And it was those jobs that motivated me to go back to college every year <laughs> and get my degree. <clears throat> but when I graduated, I couldn't get work. This was uh, in the 80s, and it was the other recession time, especially in Michigan, where we were living at the time. And so I, uh, I did whatever I could. I sacked, went back to sacking groceries for a while, a skill that I'd learned in high school. I did that part-time. I mowed lawns. I did this for four months together to put together enough money to pay rent. And finally, I got a job as an apprentice printing press operator. This was not what my degree was in. I don't know that there is a degree for this. My degree was in business, but this was the only job I could find. And so... I learned how to run a printing press, and after about a year in the back end of the shop, I was given the chance to deal with customers in the front end of the shop and actually became the manager of just a small little printing uh, press shop. And then I, uh, I got in on the, the ground floor of the start of an advertising agency. I didn't really know what was involved. It was uh, The owner hired me. I was his first hire for my experience in printing, and that business grew over time. Eventually, we had about 25 employees, about $3 million in sales a year, and I eventually became the president of that advertising agency. And then 32 years ago, I left that job to come here and pastor this church. That's my resume, the short version of my resume. Now, you may have a longer resume. 
Uh, you may have many more impressive items on your resume, but, but the point is this. There's a lot of different kinds of jobs. We know this. The last edition of the Dictionary of Occupational Titles put out by the Labor Department listed over 13,000 specific job titles. Now, with the arrival of the information age, the digital age, uh, the amount of new job titles that were suddenly being formed really outstripped the ability to publish an annual version of this book. And so the Labor Department replaced it with an online version. And rather than listing all the job titles, uh, this online version now lists 1,000 occupational families. The idea is as new jobs are created, they kind of fit within one of these 1,000 occupational families. So the question we're asking this morning is, which one of those 13,000 plus job titles or 1,000 plus occupational families is the right one for you to work in, to get a job in? Now that's an important question because work is the largest part of our life. Now, if you're retired, you may be thinking, all right, I can plan lunch. Now, this isn't for me. We're talking about work. No, your working life is not over. Your career may be over, your earning life may be over, but your working life, from God's perspective, is not over. God has more for you to do. Now, when it comes to the question of where does God want me to work, God doesn't, there is no godly occupational list of titles. There's no book that puts that out. Uh, there is no godly occupational information network. That's the online version the Labor Department puts out now. And so in place of anything like that, God really gives us some questions that we need to ask as we consider what we are doing for work. So I'm going to offer four questions. I'm not saying these are the only four questions you should ask as you consider what you're doing for work or where you work. But I suggest these are four of the most important questions for us to ask as we consider. Now, again, if you're retired, these questions are important for you. This is not just for someone who's starting out their career. This is for someone who is in the middle of their career. This is for someone who has ended their career. Because if you're in retirement, you are now dealing with one of the toughest job transitions of your life. And these questions are going to be really important for you to ask. So this applies to all of us. So question number one. What does God want me to do? That may seem like an obvious question, but it's based on the premise that you don't work for yourself. Even if you are your own boss, you're really not your own boss if you understand who God is. God is who you work for. And therefore, this question is a very important first question. You know, if you work for a company, you can't just show up and do whatever you want to do. You know, the owner puts out a list, or the management puts out a list of job descriptions, and then they look for the right people to fill those positions. Now, God is the owner above all owners. And he has created you and me to work. And he sees to it that there's always plenty of work to be done. So we need to ask God, our owner, what does he want us to do? Now, since we're sitting here in church, my guess is that you really do want to do, at some level, what God wants you to do. But what I've discovered is, a lot of people, especially Christians, they, they tend to have, they wouldn't answer the question this way, but practically, they have this idea that God really doesn't care much about what I do for work. As long as I'm not doing something immoral, I'm not doing something damaging, you know, God cares about that. But beyond that, he, he's really not that interested in where I work. But work is the single largest investment of your life. So it wouldn't make sense to think that God created you and then said, you know what? Just show up at church once a week, 
when you can. Check in with me. And then, you know, the rest of your time is yours. Just do whatever you want to do. I don't really care what you do with it. I don't care where you work. Now, that's clearly not God's perspective. God not only cares where we work, but it turns out he has a work assignment for you. As owners do, they have an idea of what you should be doing. So we need to ask. As we're getting ready to make a job transition, as we're struggling with our job, as we're getting ready to enter, enter into the, uh, the career, as we're getting ready to retire, we need to ask again and again, God, what do you want me to do? Am I doing the right thing? Is this, is this the place you want me to be? Now, when you ask this question, there's one important condition, and it's found in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Here's the condition. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, I, I used to read this and think that in order for God to answer a question like this, what do you want me to do, where do you want me to work, or any question for wisdom, that I had to believe strong enough that God could give me an answer before he would give me the answer. That's what I thought it meant, don't doubt. So I would crank up the believing emotions, whatever that meant, or I thought it meant at the moment. And I would kind of have a little internal pep rally for God. God, you can do it. You can tell me. I know you can tell me. I know you can do it. And it didn't take me too long to realize, that's ridiculous. Of course God can do it. Of course he can tell me. He doesn't need a pep rally. He doesn't need me cranking up some kind of faith emotions, whatever those are. The belief that this is talking about is not whether or not God can give me wisdom and answer my questions. The question is, what am I going to do with the answer? Will I believe God enough to do what he tells me to do? Will I trust God enough to actually do it? Or do I have a plan that matters more to me than what God's plan is? Do I have an agenda that is more important to me than whatever God's agenda might be? You see, until we decide to do whatever God wants us to do, he will not make his assignment to us clear. Because until then, we're, as it says here, we're double-minded. Part of us really wants to do what God says. But when you look at what we do you discover there's another part of us that doesn't really want to do what God says. So we tend to be double-minded. And this makes us unstable in all we do. You know what that means? You can never tell what we're going to do. Oh, we're really serious about God, and then we go do this. We're, we're unstable. We never know what's going what's to come out of our actions, God, what God wants us to do or what we want to do. I mean, just think of it from a purely job perspective. If you hired someone and then discovered that they are also on the payroll of your major competitor, would you give them a job with great clarity and great meaning? No. If you kept them on your payroll, you would for sure keep them in the dark. And that's what God is saying here. God is saying, get your loyalties straight first. And then I'll give you clarity. In my experience, I get my loyalties straight. And then I have to again get my loyalties straight. 
And then three months later, once again, I have to get my loyalty straight. You just keep getting back on track with saying, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just want to know what it is. Actually, this process of getting my loyalty straight was how I ended up doing this, how I got this job. It had, um, the reason I, I entered the, or got the job with the advertising company was because it started out as a part-time job. And I had decided to start pursuing my master's degree in theology because I had a thought in my mind that maybe this kind of thing was something God had in my future. So a good friend had said, well, maybe you should get the education then. So I, I did the education part-time, I did the work part-time, and that's how I got this job. But in the five years that it took me to get my degree, the company had grown. My job went from part-time to full-time. I changed different jobs, but eventually the owner asked me to run the company for him while he went off and started some other businesses. So that's how I became the president of this medium-sized agency. And in those five years, our two children had been born. So at this point in my life, when I graduated with my master's degree in theology, in business, I was making more money than I'd ever made before. And I needed more money than I'd ever needed before. Those two really worked out well together. And then this church called Seabreeze, which I thought, is that a real name? Is this, is this a real thing? And it turned out it was. This church called me. And I immediately dismissed it. But a good friend of mine heard about this call, and he dared me to come out here and check it out. So being a guy, I had to, I had to follow up on the dare. So I came out here basically on a dare. And that began the process of me wrestling with whether or not this was the job that God wanted me to do. And the main struggle I had was this was a new church. It was only a little over a year old. And eventually they offered me a position, which I was shocked. Showed me how desperate they were. <laughs> but they weren't able to pay really enough to live in this area, and they knew that. And so, best I could figure, uh, the salary for this job was about $1,000 a month short of what I needed. And that, this was $1990, so I don't know what that is now. $100,000? I don't know, <laughs> but not that much. It was $1,000 a month short. So I, I really wrestled with this, and my immediate thought was, no way. We're a family now. This is not just me, the single guy, going off and doing something fun. This, this is serious. I can't do this. And I continue to be confused about whether this was something God wanted me to do. But finally, Rebecca and I, my wife and I, we got to the point where we said, okay, God, we just want to know. We'll do whatever you want us to do on this. Even if we got to move this young family across the country for a job paying less than we can live on. We'll do that. At that moment, when we settled that, things began to get clear. That's a longer story, how God spoke, but God made it clear this is what we were supposed to do. So, on a particular Sunday, I said yes to pastor this church. And that, um, that afternoon, after that meeting with the leadership here, my wife and I were driving down Main Street in Huntington, heading back to Orange County Airport to fly back to Texas, where we were living at the time. And we were talking about, it was one of those things where, are we crazy? What did we do? And I remember praying that afternoon, God, please, please help us. Please provide. So the next day, I'm back at work at the agency, 
I'm working late to make up because I've been out of town coming here. And I didn't know that the owner was still the owner. Um, it's a good friend by that time. He's also a Christian. Knew that I was obviously looking into this and felt like if this was what God was wanting me to do, that it would be a good thing, even though he'd, he'd miss me. We hadn't talked at all. He just popped into my office and said, hey, I don't know what happened this weekend, but if you decide, if they offer it, and you decide to take that job in California, I'll give you $1,000 a month for the first year. I mean, that was 32-plus years ago, and I still I thought, am I going to tear up when I say this? Because I almost always do, because it's just, it was like, the heavens opened and God said, take the job, <laughs> you know. So I know that I'm supposed to be here. But first, God had to test my loyalties. Then things got clear. Now, I know you're saying, okay, so for pastors, he might do that. But not for what I do. No, this, this verse doesn't start out with, say, if any of you professional ministry types lack wisdom... You should ask God. This is any of you. So if, if you're a you, this applies to you. This is the way it works. Question number two. What am I good at doing? What am I good at doing? If there's one thing that the TV show American Idol has taught us, is that just because you think you're good at something doesn't mean that you actually are. You may think you're a great singer, and you're not. So when I say, what am I good at doing, I guess what I'm saying is check it with other people who are willing to be honest with you. You really want to nail this down. You don't want to just have an inflated view of yourself. Um, so get some input. There's a lot of ways you can figure that out. I'm not going to get into how you can figure that out. Let's just assume you understand what you're good at. The question then is, why are you good at that? 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, for who makes you different from anyone else? Another way of saying it is, why are you good at some things and not good at other things? And why are other people good at different things? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? What this is saying is you have to understand you're not a self-made person. Sure, you've worked on developing skills, you've gained experience, so you're good at some things that you've learned to be good at. But... The bottom line is the raw material and the gifting and the opportunities came from God. And without those, you couldn't have worked your way into being good at these things. God is the one who gave you the skills, the abilities, the opportunities that make you, you, unique. You receive these things is what this verse is saying. Why? Well, one of the big reasons why you did not receive these is so you could feel better about yourself or worse about yourself. You, you did not receive these things so you could boast. So you could look at that and say, I'm more gifted than this person. Or look at someone else and feel bad because I'm not as gifted as this person. No, this is a gift from God. So the question is, why did God give you this gift? If it's not just so you can brag about yourself or feel bad about yourself compared to somebody else, why did God give it to you? 1 Peter 4.10 the very accurate description of why. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in all of its various forms. God's grace is his kindness and help to people. 
And people need lots of help. And God is willing to help. He offers his grace. But he dispenses his grace through the gifts that he gives us. Not just spiritual gifts that he gives followers of Christ, but talents and abilities and opportunities. God wants to steward, is the word here, through us, goodness to other people. So these gifts that he gives us are so that we can benefit others. So every moral job exists because people want it and need it. For example, my neighbor just recently retired, the one right next to me. He spent most of his career, I mean, he was a surfboard shaper, but his real paying job was he worked for the city of Huntington Beach, uh, working on our streets. And until I got to know him and got to talk to him some, I realized I just drive on streets and don't ever think about why do these streets not destroy my car until I drive on a street that destroys my car. <laughs> but I, oftentimes, I'm driving the streets of our city, and I'm grateful for how he and the other people in that department were stewards of God's grace to the driving community of our city. That's a good, that's, that's a benefit that came from God through them to us. A few years ago, I was walking down Main Street, and I saw someone who was part of this church at the time, and they were, uh, they were a police officer here in Huntington Beach. But he wasn't in uniform, so I got talking to him, just catching up. And I saw him kept looking around, and I, I've known enough police officers to know that they're always kind of looking around. But he seemed to be looking more than normal, and I said, are you on duty? He said, yeah. So I said, oh, sorry. And I walked away thinking, you know what, I'm walking down Main Street thinking, this is a great city. I feel completely safe. And the reason I'm safe is because officers like him are keeping me safe. That's God's grace stewarded through that particular job. So what do you do? What are you good at? Behind that gift is an assignment from God. That's one question you need to ask. The second, or the third question then is, what are the benefits? Really two sides. Are the results of the work you do good for you? Are they beneficial for you? And then are they beneficial for people, for culture, for society? Ephesians 4.28 says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. It's not a good job. But must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. So this letter was written by the Apostle Paul, early church planner, to a new church in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the major centers of commerce in the Roman world. It was uh, on an intersection of of a bunch of trade routes. And so a lot of goods would flow through the city of Ephesus. And wherever a lot of goods gather, a lot of thieves gather. And this was true of Ephesus. There were a lot of thieves, a lot of stealing going on. Some of it of the illegal kind, some of it of the white-collar, pay-me-a-bribe kind. So there was a lot of theft. And some of these thieves had heard the news about Jesus as Paul came to town, and they'd become Christians. And so Paul writes this letter back to this church, and he addresses this in part to some of the people who's made their livelihood on thieving. So he makes it clear. He says, we must work for the money we need. We must not steal it. Now, of course, we know that. You didn't need a verse to tell you that that's wrong. What we may not know is why 
we are supposed to work. God gave us hands so that we could do something useful with them. Now, this doesn't just mean labor, like physical labor with hands. If you're going to do work, eventually your hands have to get involved. I don't do a lot of physical labor for my job. But if I'm going to think like this, this message, I spend a lot of time thinking about this. But if it was going to turn into some, something that I could use, I, my hands had to start typing these words. So our hands have to get involved if we're going to work. We are supposed to do something useful with our hands. We were created to be contributors, not takers. So the work that pleases God benefits society. It contributes. The wrong kind of work exploits a weakness in our society, and it profits from the vulnerability of others. I'm not going to make a long list of those jobs. You can figure that out for yourself, but that's the principle. If what you do for work is exploiting a weakness in the human condition, and it's profiting from the vulnerabilities of others, you need to get another job fast. So what do you do for work? Is it useful? It's easy to see our work as just a task and miss out on the impact of it. You know, we might just say, oh, I'm an accountant, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a business owner. But it's important for you to think beyond just the title. Step back and consider, what is the contribution behind that job? How do you contribute to the bigger picture of culture and society and people? Let's say accountant. If you're an accountant, you don't just put numbers in the right columns and generate financial reports. You provide crucial information that's needed for those in management to make vital decisions. In fact, as an accountant, you are the teller of truth in that company. You know, the, the leadership can have all kinds of great ideas, and whether they work or not, the accountants will tell you. They're the teller. You're the, you're the truth teller. You stand guard over the money in the business that you work for. And money is the lifeblood of a business. If the business bleeds out, everyone loses their jobs. Your job is very important. If you're a teacher, you don't just teach math or English. You are building the future. If you're a mother at home taking care of a little one, well, you're pretty much in charge of the entire future. The future is resting on what you do. What you do in the life of that child or those children will shape the future more than you can possibly know. It's a heavy investment. But it shapes the future in ways that our culture has kind of forgotten. If you're a business owner, whatever the business is, you contribute. Not just to the economy at large, but to the community. You fix things, you provide services, you build products that people need and want. And you put food on the table for many families. A few years ago, I, I had a detached retina in, in this eye. And I found out in the morning and had surgery in the evening because you can lose your vision. So on the post-op appointment with the surgeon, I thanked him basically for saving my eyesight, my right eye. And his response was kind of typical. He said, oh, I just do my job. Yes, you were. And for that, I am very grateful. 
because your job, God saved my eyesight through your job. So it's not good to, you know, crow about what you do, but you need to know how valuable it is. It's, it's much bigger than just doing a task. Now, if what you do for work is something that people aren't grateful for, that doesn't mean it's not a contribution, necessarily. Not everyone will be grateful for your contribution, as grateful as I was for my doctor's contribution. You know, when, when I was in that advertising agency in business, one of my jobs as I moved through that company was I was in charge of accounts receivable. Uh, if you're not familiar with accounts receivable, basically it was my job to call up people who owed us money and was past due and get the money. So that was not a job that people loved. I never had a single person that I called to say, oh, you know what, I've been feeling so bad. It's been just a weight on me, this money that I owe your company. And I'm so glad you called me so that I can get the weight off my shoulder and just send you everything we owe. That never happened. Many times I'd have to go to their business because they wouldn't answer the door. They wouldn't, they wouldn't answer the door. They wouldn't answer the phone. So those were, those were, that was a tough job. I just felt like I got beat up every day calling for money. No one thanked me. But without that job, we could not have met payroll. And often I felt like telling people, hey, you're welcome. But I didn't. No one is grateful for the police when they pull them over and give them a ticket. But without them, our daily life would be a living horror. So what do you do? Is it useful? If it's not, change. Do something different. So should we all work for free or at least work for nonprofits so that we can help people the most? Well, no, because we need money, the money that work produces. The reason nonprofits exist, a church is a nonprofit, the reason we can exist is because most people have for-profit jobs and can then give to nonprofit organizations to carry out their missions. We need to, as it says here, it needs to benefit enough, uh, us enough. In other words, there needs to be enough money that we're making so that we have something to share with those in need. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12 goes on to say, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you may not be dependent on anybody. I remember when I first read that verse and I thought, so it's okay to be an introvert? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. My thought was, done. I'm on that. It doesn't sound very ambitious, does it? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. So it's not talking about being an introvert or an extrovert. It's talking about working hard. Make it your ambition to work hard. Lead a quiet life, mind your own business, and work with your hands. That doesn't sound ambitious, but that is a big deal to God. Because it's a big deal to God that you are not dependent on anybody, that you pay your own way. In order for you to do that, you're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to focus on your business and not everyone else's business. You know, work earns both an increased reputation and an increased income. Those go together usually. 
One of the ways people do slack in their work is they talk too much about things that have nothing to do with their job. That's what this is talking about. Stop talking, get back to work. If your work is talking, that's okay, but make sure the talk is work talk, not goof-off talk. A lot of times people will think about the work they need to do, they'll talk about the work they need to do, but they just won't make it make its way to their hands, which is where the work is done. They don't pick up the phone, they don't grab the tool belt, they don't start typing on the keyboard and actually work. Now, if you're not able to support yourself, something isn't right. Either you need to change jobs, your job isn't paying you enough, or you need to change you so that you are worth more to some company. You need to develop more skills so that you can earn more. This is so important to God that he has devised a great plan for motivating us to pay our own way in life. It's called hunger. We looked at this a few months ago, but it fits here. Second Thessalonians 3.10 the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. So this is not, hey, here's a thought, here's an idea. This is a rule in the Bible. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Now, if a person cannot work, that's different. We need to help. If a person can't find work, and here's the condition, they are working full-time to find work. What I mean by working full-time is, Eight to five every day, they're looking for work. And they still can't find work, then we need to help them until they do find work. But if they're unwilling to work, God says, don't you dare get in the way of my work plan and feed them. One of the challenges for parents right now is to figure out when to stop paying for their adult children. It's just a huge challenge. It didn't used to be a challenge. It kind of used to take care of itself because... I remember my generation, we could not wait to get out of the house. That is not as true right now. And there's a number of reasons for that. But if you are paying, as a parent, if you're paying for your adult child, you are getting in the way of God's plan for their life. Now, I know that requires a step of faith. You know, the way parenting works, God says, hey, this child is my child, but I'm going to entrust you with this child as a frontline parent for about 18 years. Then I want you to give this child back to me as an adult, and I'll parent them the rest of the way. And it's really hard for parents to turn the child over to God because the world is scary, and we love this child. But when we keep paying for an adult child, what we're saying to God is, I don't trust your parenting. I think I'm a better parent. So, we need to get out of the way. Now, the benefits of a job are not always in dollars. For the past 34 years, my wife's work has been focused at home. The benefits of her work to our family has not come in the form of dollars, but in the contributions that she's made to our family and our home. Now, when our kids grew up, and moved away, we had a decision to make. We talked about whether Rebecca should go back into the job market. She'd been out of the job market for a long time, but she has a Bachelor of Science in Math. She worked in the defense industry. So there was no question about whether 
she was capable and could find a good job. But we decided that her contribution to us, I'm not saying everyone should do this, but her contribution to us was worth the lost income. So now her work continues on as grandmother and other things. Now I say this because our culture has almost no value for a job that doesn't pay. But that is not God's perspective. In fact, I would say retirement is one of the times in your life when you can make some of your best contributions. And you're not getting paid for it. So now let's turn to question number four as we wrap up. What's in front of me? What's in front of me? The reason I say this is because we generally don't magically appear at the job has the, at the job that God has for us. We usually work our way step by step to the job that God has for us. Sometimes you just start out and you're locked in and you never have to make a change. That's not usually the case. So here's the principle out of the Bible, Luke 16:10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. What is this saying? Start with small responsibilities and grow. You don't graduate from college, become CEO. Unless you're a video game creator, maybe, I guess you do. But generally, you don't. You start in an entry-level position. If you're faithful with that, then you're promoted and given more. It's the same with God. It's okay to change jobs. But you want to make sure that you're not promoting yourself before God's promoting you. If you promote yourself before God does, it's going to be a rough job. Well, how do you know if you're promoting yourself before God's promoting you? One of the best indicators is that if you have to sacrifice the things that God says is really important in order to advance, you're probably over-promoting yourself. You're probably going too fast. Now, the basic rule is when in doubt about what your job should be, stay at the job you're at. Stay put. The Apostle Paul is speaking to new Christians who are stuck in slavery. You think your job is bad. That's a bad job. It's an unjust job. But it was the way the economy of the ancient world, for the most part, ran. 1 Corinthians 7.17, Paul says to them, Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule laid down in all the churches. What he's saying is, however you got to where you are, you should assume that where you are right now, unless it's immoral or illegal, this is God's assignment for you. So don't change assignments until God gives you a new assignment. And if you don't have a job right now, now is not the time to be choosy and wait for your ideal job. Jump in and get a job now. Kind of like me when I couldn't find a job. Sacked groceries. There was a high school kid that was my boss, and I had a bachelor's degree. He loved that way too much. So irritating. <laughs> but I needed money, so I sacked groceries, and I mowed lawns. The principle is this. Work generally leads to work. Laziness does not generally lead to work. So get working, and God will guide you step by step to something better. So where you work is not an afterthought for God. It's one of the many channels that he uses to send out his grace into this world. And as such, it is an assignment from God. 
You may not work for a Fortune 500 company, but you work for something much better. You work for God himself. Next Sunday, we're going to end this series as we end the Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to consider the gift that is your job. Gratitude, I think, is one of the single best attitude adjusters. And when it comes to work, I think most of us could use an attitude adjustment. So next Sunday, we're going to talk about gratitude for our work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace that is administered to us through all the jobs in our community and in this nation and around the world. We oftentimes, especially in the complexity of the global economy, we don't even think about all the work that's being done that blesses us and benefits us. I pray for everyone here that is working. God, I pray that you give them a, a real clarity about what, they, what you want them to do. For those that are in transition, God, I pray you'd, you'd guide them, give clarity about where they need to go next. For those who are looking for work or need to be looking for work, God, I pray that you would motivate them and you would provide for them. We thank you for the work that you've given us, and we pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.